Hi, you're listening to the Industrial Leadership Podcast brought to you by Schneider Electric. This podcast is made up of a series of informal conversations with leaders from around our industry and beyond about their own stories, what makes them tick as a leader, and everything from diversity and inclusion, careers, innovation, and much more. And I'm your host, Mark Eels. I'm the VP of Industrial Automation here at Schneider Electric. Thanks for joining me. If you have any comment on the podcast, if you'd like to suggest a guest, or if you'd like to talk about any of the subjects we'd cover, I'd love to hear from you. Check the links in the description of the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Susan Skurlock, founder and CEO of Primary Engineer. Her accolades include three honorary doctorships, the Rook Award for supporting the Royal Academy of Engineering's initiative to promote engineering publicly, and an MBE for services to education and engineering. Her organization, Primary Engineer, is responsible for engaging more than 60,000 pupils, 4,000 teachers, and 1,500 engineers in engineering projects each year across the UK, and it won the prestigious Red Rose Award for Skills Provider in 2016. Their Leaders Award competition, now in its 10th year, entitled, If You Were an Engineer, What Would You Do?, has engaged over 200,000 young children since it began, and has seen ingenious youngsters engineering solutions brought to reality by university students and startups alike. We'll hear more from Susan about the work of Primary Engineer shortly, and I'm really looking forward to understanding her own journey to where she is now, what drives her, and her own views on the importance of STEM, education, skills development, and diversity for the future of our industry. First thing for me to say is, Susan, welcome to the show, first of all. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I feel very honored. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, I, I'm certainly looking forward to exploring with you how we uh, how we address some of the challenges in our industry. But, Susan, maybe I... Um, let, let's start right at the beginning. I wonder if you could share... Um, your own story, maybe, with the uh, with the audience today. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I am founder of Primary Engineer. You know, I started this um, from the back bedroom of my house in 2005. But the reason that I kind of came to that was that as a child, I was incredibly interested in all things physics and maths, you know, that kind of inquisitive nature. And the school that I attended had at secondary had this really kind of defined girl boy thing. And right from the get go, you were being pushed into one direction or another. And I wanted to be an engineer. My dad was an engineer. My dad said no to being an engineer. So despite all the things that I was doing, it was like, really? So I became a teacher. I had a, a graphic designer by trade, became a teacher of the secondary school and, and just saw there was a huge dissatisfaction in children from a very early age and really wanted to do something about that. And that's how I came to doing primary engineer almost 20 years ago, which is quite shocking to say out loud, should be fair. But yes, 20 years ago. Wow. And how time time flies in that period, yeah, eh? Do you know, I think for the first 10 or 15 years, I didn't sleep. <laughs> I'm brutally honest. It's only this last few years that I've actually thought, oh, yeah, it's working. Yeah, I found out. Yeah, it's cool. You can relax a little bit now, for sure. And um, Susan, I, I wonder if you could just explain to our audience 
what is, what is Primary Engineer? What, what is it? Well, we're an organisation um, that was really established to bring engineering into primary school classrooms to engage children in learning, to find a love of learning. And in order to do that, we deliver teach training, we provide resources, teaching resources and physical resources. We do that from Land's End to John O'Groats. We are completely national. Um, and we have celebration events where we bring engineers together to celebrate the children's outputs. We have competitions, competitions where we invite children to invent things through, if you were an engineer, what would you do? We have Stat Wars, which is a data project. We have teacher training courses, which are PG certs and quali qualifications and research as well at the end of it. So as it's grown, as we started in this very tiny space, we've grown and added things on it as needed to be able to reach a wider audience and engage as many children as possible. Amazing. And what kind of projects have you done? Is there any examples you could give? Would well, you like one of my favourites? Would you like one of my oh, favourites? So please, I've set you up. I you have, you have. So um, this competition, if you're an engineer, what would you do? I've got two favourites. So I'm going to I'm going to explain both of them. One of them was a child in Burnley whose sister, a cousin, sorry, has spinal muscular atrophy, which is a condition where the body can't help uphold itself, can't keep itself upright absolutely tragic and she invented an exoskeleton jacket for the child and she drew it out and uh, annotated it and Euclid decided oh we could build that yeah we'll build that we'll go off and we'll build that and they went really really quiet and it's really annoying because you want to make noise you want to do... and then they popped up and I got a phone call from the guy who was running it Matt Dickinson and he said Susan you'll never guess I said what's that Mark and he said well not only does it not exist but we've made it, and it's going to go to human trials. And not all, they've created this incredible exoskeleton jacket. Matt is now the director for the Committee for Europe of Exoskeleton Jackets. He's been asked to reverse it so that it can be used on a space station to reduce muscle loss. And it has gone to human trials, and it will change the way the condition is treated and extend life. It's a drop-the-mic moment. It's one of those ones you just go, woof. The other one, if you've got time, just very quickly, the other one is the flat pack wind turbine for refugee camps. Wow. Designed by a kid over in um, Edinburgh, built by Glasgow Cali University. And they did something really interesting. They took it and then turned it into what's known as a vertical integrated project. So each year it was handed on to the next uh, intake of students. Different departments were involved in it. They built it. It looks amazing. And then we got a phone call. This is five years later, admittedly. It goes through process. Five years later, we got a phone call from them uh, just recently in the beginning of this year saying, you'll never guess, which is always a way like an end of a conversation to start. You'll never guess. Anybody, UK have just given us a grant for £170,000 to take it to Kenya to test. And you just go, oh, <laughs> all from the ideas of kids. Wow. Well, well, that gives us some idea what Primary Engineer stands for and is all about. So thank you for that. And I do want to pick up on something that you just said, because it was really interesting for me, the piece around education. So you started in education, did, did quite a bit of work in that space. How important do you believe that education is to bring maybe the next wave of talent into our industry? What 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 kind of role could that help help us all do to to attract that next wave of talent? I think the interesting word there or the operative word is education. 
And I think that you've got to look at that in two different ways. It's that you've got the curriculum, you've got an education framework that schools adhere to, that teachers adhere to, and children are effectively pushed through. Um, and then you have a wider education, which is interest-led and um, emotive. And you look at them, and at the moment they sit together, and we kind of say to children, you know, we're trying to inspire children in schools. But actually, what we're trying to do in terms of these sectors is say, these are things that exist outside of school. These are aspirational places to go and work with and to. Um, and I don't think that, I don't think the framework in schools is particularly built to do that. And that's why it needs these external activities to raise the aspirations of children, to, to, to enable them to see the businesses on, on the corner of the road. We, we live here in this beautiful building that's called AMS Need. And they make sound recording equipment for the great and the good right the way across the whole. And if you if you're a movie, if you know if you make movies, if you're a um, a pop star, you have one of these sound recording desks. You know, like Mark Crabtree has two Oscars, an Emmy, and a Grammy as an electrical engineer. Do you know? What I mean, really, genuinely shocking. The kids down the road don't know we exist. They don't know they exist, and that's because they. They'll pass the, the building on the way to school. They'll just see walls and they don't think about the things that are on the other side of it. And you get the same thing with teachers. Teachers will drive in. They won't live where you teach. You never want to see kids in the, in the supermarket when you're buying wine, you know? So you don't teach in the same place as you live. So teachers necessar don't necessarily know the industries and the opportunities that are available to children in the areas. So I think that education is, um, it's not, it's not a one word that describes everything of that experience at, at that age. I, I, well, there was some fascinating, fascinating insights there, wasn't there? And that's, you know, maybe our industry is blind to, um, to some people, maybe our industry needs quite a bit of work from a PR perspective. And I'll, I'd like to come back to that topic in particular a little bit later around the PR for the industry. The final point you raised there actually got me thinking a little bit around education. So sure, it, it feels it feels like it's certainly through some of the work that I do with some of our early talents that there's a, there's a big piece to do on education with our early talent. Actually, I just want to pick up on something there. How do we educate the, how do we educate the education system? Because that 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 there is is probably the fundamental to help us educate the children too, right? It's I think that's um, something that I started to think about when I first started primary engineer was that somebody asked me, "Are you trying to change the system or are you trying to deliver something into the system?" And I kind of sat and thought about it. And if you're lobbying for change, it's all-consuming. It's you know, it's it's a it's a heck of a thing. It's a heck of an undertaking. And my personal opinion was, well, I'm going to try and change it from within, and then I can prove it works later on down the line. If it works, I can prove it can work. Um, but I think that the education systems evolve into something that's that's there to be measured, and the 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 companies that want these talent, these talented people. I'm not sure whether it's it's a, a marketing campaign to advertise it or more about the the contact between local schools and local industries and 
having that communication link a little bit more uh, stronger. One of the things that makes me laugh is that I think that all, whenever I do a presentation to engineers and I, and I talk about, you know, working with teachers and training teachers and doing all this stuff, I get all these engineers telling me they're married to teachers. Oh yeah, my dad's a teacher. Oh yeah, yeah, they, they, my, yeah, my cousin's a teacher. And I'm thinking, do you not talk to each other over the table? Do you just never discuss this? Because you've got so many incredible people working in your industry. Are they not telling their kids about the things that you do? And does that kind of make you think about how do they feel about their career then? Does that, is it something that they're saying, oh, you've got to be an engineer, kids, because I work here and it does this and it's amazing and I can see this is for you. Are they saying that as well? Because that, where's that attraction piece coming from the internal magnetism, if you like? I think these these are really interesting points because I was reflecting as you were talking there a very uh, pertinent conversation that I had this morning talking about change, um, talking about um, recognition was actually the topic that we were talking about in our own business. Uh, and actually, there are some really tight synergies there because one of the one of the areas that I was really trying to hone in on and to impress on the team was we all own this. And I think it, you've just mentioned a great thing there, engineers. Engineers are super, super interesting. They do amazing things. They make things work, honestly, which sometimes amazes me personally. But I think the, eco, the ecosystem, I think the ecosystem, this is what I'm picking up from this conversation, the ecosystem can probably formulate itself better to raise the brand of manufacturing and engineering to help us develop more in our area. Is that something you would subscribe to? Yes, I think it is an interrelationship of various parts. And I think that, um, I think one of the frustrations that industry have with education is that you'll, you'll hear stories of companies that have gone up to a school door and kind of knocked on it and said, we're here, we want to come in and we'll do this. And the teachers kind of look at them and think, what the heck are you? You know, what, what we're going to do with you? We've no idea what to do with you. So I tell you what, we'll just ignore you. And then the, the, the engineers come back and go, well, we've tried and they, you know, we didn't get through the door. And, this, and you're thinking, yeah, because they, the, the, you both want the same thing. You just aren't speaking the same language at the same time. So I think when you're talking about ecosystems, there are lots of strands to it. And, and I have a, one of my favorite analogies at the moment is it's like you've got all these beautiful yarns, all these beautiful different colors, but you've lost the pattern to knit them. So you're just kind of weaving them together and you've got this kind of hodgepodge that doesn't actually beautifully illustrate or use those yarns that you've got hanging from threads. And um, obviously I did a lot of crocheting in lockdown. That's all I can say there. That's, that's where my analogy comes from. <laughs> wow. I didn't know how we'd weave in crochet. There you go. There's another one for you. That's free. Um, but the but actually, this is a really important point because it, it it kind of segues nicely into my next line of thinking and questioning here, which is in manufacturing and industry, we actually need a really diverse set of people, backgrounds, and skills. And let, let's take ourselves back to the, the the schooling and education system first. Do you think we we accept do you think that we promote celebrate maybe those children that might think a little bit different might not be so strong english or maths necessarily but practically maybe can get things done 
and um and then as you go through life because you you probably gone that ecosystem example you gave is then around acceptance of different people's views backgrounds and opinions do, do you think it probably starts at a younger age in education do you think we're we're recognizing that talent early enough um i don't know i think recognizing that talent early enough i'm not sure about um i think that does it start earlier it should do the whole reason a primary engineer is to work with the whole class it's it's train the teacher bring an engineer in if you're talking to the whole class you should never ever have to say girls can be engineers too because it should be automatic it should be something that everybody thinks everybody else can do so i think that from the the kind of the diversity of it it's having the level playing field from as early as possible and you know having it shouldn't be that all the female engineers are wheeled out, you know, to schools because, you know, we're showing and promoting. You, you, you need that balance. It's it's male-female. It's that diversity. It's that um, neurodiversity as well is another interesting point, but I'll come back to that in a minute. It's, it's that the engagement with engineers shouldn't be a one-off. It shouldn't be seen to, all right, we've done it, tick the box, let's walk away. It should be annual. It should be something that's integral to project-based learning. It should be something where innovation is actually centered around that in engineering hub. When we, we um, created one of our projects is a competition called, if you were an engineer, what would you do? And the idea of it was, was really, I mean, I've actually shared with you that the idea of the project came about because my daughter refused to be an engineer when she was little. And I thought, my God, she's going to invalidate my life's work if you don't be an engineer, Chad. You know, I mean, for God's sake, be an engineer. And I thought the only way that she would actually be able to do that is if she went and met some engineers and it didn't matter who they were. And in those interviews, she, she asked questions that were really important to her. And over the years, we've seen that grow and grow and grow. And now it's this competition. If you were an engineer, what would you do? Interview an engineer, ask some questions that are important to you go and find a problem, draw a solution to it, write a letter to an engineer. It's it's so simple, simplistic in its output. But what you get are children that engage with it that are potentially the introverts of the class, potentially the naughty set at the back of the class, potentially not the ones sat at the front getting the 10 out of 10 every time they put something into the teacher. And what you see from these ideas are just care and observation and a recognition that engineering can solve every problem i mean literally every problem and it doesn't matter whether it's whether the idea is so out there that it's absolutely impossible i mean i sat at judging panels where i've seen an entry land on the table and all the engineers get pens and paper out to see if it's actually physically possible and it's hilarious to watch because it's like yeah not quite the idea of the project guys but come on let's get back to it but I think that that brings to the fore that children have an opportunity to be recognized as thinking like an engineer and the teacher then sees them as being slightly different, not different as in a, in a bad way, but their impression of them changes. And I think that it's a challenge that we have, not about necessarily understanding what an engineer looks like as a fully formed engineer, but what they look like as children. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's that. How does a teacher recognize the child at the back of the class trying to take the plug out of the wall and dismantle something is actually just an engineer. 
you know, they're just not being naughty, they're just an engineer, but we don't recognize it. So I think the whole diversity, um, the neurodiversity is enormously important. And I think I'd, I'd throw this kind of back to you in a little way is that do you not feel that your engineering teams are going to change? That you're going to need different, uh, is everybody going to need an engineering degree and an engineering team? Or do you want those creatives sat there that are going to be bringing in that, why are we doing it like that? So how do you feel that that is going to evolve in the future? Well, well I think we're already on that pathway, uh, Susan, to be honest. I think um, one of the things I've tried to do in our business is to ensure that we have a diversity of thinking. So that neuro piece you were talking about. And I think it's really important. We've got some, we've got some mid late and I'm pleased to say we've now got apprentices and graduates coming in to give us a, a completely different view and perspective on solving challenges. And, and actually, you know, have our graduates all come from engineering background? No. I mean, we've got zoologists, honestly, we've got marketeers, we have computer science. I mean, of course you, you'd align that probably to a, a STEM piece, but, but overall, I think our thinking, and I think this is on the leadership actually in industry is to train coach for us to read up on the importance of having the diversity within your teams and your groups in your engineering, general engineering, um, teams is, is to have that thinking that is broad and challenging and challenging and here's the thing for leadership challenging is not a bad thing challenging is a really good thing if it's facilitated in the right way so so i think and this goes back to your your piece here on schools and classrooms that's the job of the teacher is to facilitate the level of thinking from not the tenor attends at the front but also um you know the boy or girl who who pulls the plug out and starts to cut cables and all kinds of things at the back of the class as well. So, so I think it starts, it's a responsibility. I see that my responsibility as a leader in the industry to, to help and facilitate broadly up and down and then outside of our, our organization as well. So a uh, long answer, but do I think it should change? It is changing and it has to change at pace, has to change at pace. It's interesting what you were saying there when, when, when you, push back that, that um, thought about the, the kids at the front of the class 10 out of 10. And, you know, I think um, there is this idea that engineers are the smartest people in the room. And you are, Mark. I just want to say that right now. You know, you are the smartest person in this room. However... I'm a 6 out of 10, Sue. I'm a 6. <laughs> I do think that engineers have shot themselves in the foot a little bit with this idea that they are top at maths, they are top at physics, they are untouchable in this in this bubble of intelligence. And, you know, the, there is, um, there's a lot of, of kind of conversations about first class honours graduates knowing when to stop because they're so used to getting everything right that actually the challenge is, is good, good enough or when is good, good enough. And engineering for me, when we use it in the classroom, you've got the... the the problem, the problem part of a class when you're teaching a class isn't the extremes of the ones at the, uh, let's say, at the back of the class and the ones at the front of the class. It's the ones in the middle that are well-behaved and do. So you kind of just let them carry on being well-behaved and do. And you know, the crowd control in the back of the class or you're giving a gold star to somebody at the front of the class. You know, you've got this kind of thing that you're juggling all the time. But engineering in these atmospheres is really interesting because what you find when you run an engineering project with these groups of children 
is the children that are disengaged or that are challenging are really engaged in a practical project. They become very um, excited on it. And, and also one of the things that's really interesting that we've heard back from teachers is they're also prepared to go and help other people that are struggling, which is not something that's, that's natural to, you know, when you're teaching and observing that. But the thing that happens with the children that are very academic is that they're not necessarily very resilient. So if it doesn't work the first time and they don't get 10 out of 10 for it the very first time they do it, hands are in the air, pens are on the floor, gone stand in a corner. It, it's, it's about everybody has an opportunity to learn something and act in a different way that doesn't normal, that you wouldn't expect. So I think that that's for us why we really concentrate on engineering as being a focal point to learning. Um, and whether that's um, that practical academic, the, the academic side of it or the practical side of it or the creative side of it or the data side of it. Engineering for me underpins all of that. Um, and that's why I think it's so fundamentally important in schools. I really want, I want to come back on the resilience point because that, that is fascinating. I, I think that is fascinating. And maybe that's, you know, when I look at some of maybe some of the most famous entrepreneurs that you see maybe on TV or in business generally, their resilience, their resilience is, is probably the strongest. So maybe we can come back to that point. I did want to, I just want to share a bit of learning as well that I had. I, I had the great privilege of coaching a boys rugby team from the, the age of under eight to the age of under 18. So I, I can only begin, well, I'm sure you can imagine the challenges that through going through the ages there but the, the the important piece here is actually we had we had boys from all walks of life i mean everything you could possibly imagine and i just want to pick up on the, on the point that you made the the, the the guys that perhaps weren't the a star students were very very practical i mean very practical if we needed something moving if we wanted something shifting if we had a teamwork thing to do they were right at the front of the class and if somebody to your point, actually, if somebody was really struggling in a certain area, they would go and lift them, pick them up, give them a piggyback, pick them up and put them on their back, whatever it was that they would do that. So I'm, I'm absolutely on board with what you just said there around, um, them being perhaps slightly stronger team players, perhaps, perhaps let's, um, let's come back to the, um, the topic of resilience because we've been questioning ourselves more broadly recently in our own organization on the topic of resilience. Where, where would you think that stems from? Where do you think the resilience in in a child and then moving into adult, where, where, where does that come from? Permission to fail. Permission to fail. I think that, um, you know, there's this idea that um, if you haven't done it wrong, you're not doing it right. You know, if you turn up with a thing and it's done the first time you look at it, then actually bag that, go away and have a play around with other aspects of it. Um, I think that children as they progress through primary, want to please the teacher. So that attribution for getting everything right first time, that's the biggest tick. Whereas actually what you want to be doing is pushing it back and saying, well, yeah, that's great. It got one. Go and do another one. You know, the permissions fail, I think for me, fundamentally. That's a great phrase. I, I might steal that if that's okay, Susan. I've You're got, welcome, sir. I've, You're I've, welcome. I've got a presentation next week, so I might just steal that. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. And um, and also, 
I, I think this is really right because, you know, I've, I've been working on this mantra that is 80% progress is better than 100% right most of the time. Let's get things moving and, and we let's fail fast, get to it, fail, learn, move, progress. So we've spoken about children, education, we've spoken about maybe some, some outside influences as well. How do we, what, what's the next phase then? How do we, I would want to come back to the PR piece that I mentioned right at the start there. What can we all do? We've got a whole bunch of listeners kind of listening in today. What, what would what would be your one ask or maybe one or two points that you'd like to see either our industry, our parents, our education, the, the ecosystem? What, what can we do to raise the awareness of what we do? Well, that's a really nice question because I think um, on a number of fronts, you know, we... We will probably engage upward of 2,000 schools this year. And where I would like to deploy an engineer into those schools, I haven't got enough engineers to do it. And I think that when you look at what the industry requires and what it's what it's saying, I've, I've still got schools that would like an engineer. Um, so I, I could do with people that would like to give some time to that. I think that, I think engineers would, I don't want to be harsh on engineers because I really like them, but I do think that it would be good if they spoke to their wider families a little bit more about what they do. And also, you know, where there is teachers engaged in that or where their children are going to school is to point them in our direction. We had a nominated school campaign on social media this year and we got over 800 schools nominated by family members and engineers. And that's been tremendous, you know, because that's people actually saying, yes, I really like what I do. I would like my local school to be involved in it. Here is their connect, you know, this is how to connect to them. So that for me is something that's really fundamental to it. I think also there's a bit of me that thinks that the messaging that comes out is is sometimes a little bit twisted. And, and I think that's around definitions sometimes. So I think that the industry talks about these vast numbers of engineers that are needed. And when they talk about these vast numbers, then they imply that it's young people. Whereas actually, I think it's a range of ages and the, the young people that are applying, are there enough places for them to apply to? Um, so my feeling is, 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 is the way that that messaging is, is, is done. I think that industry, if you look at it, because I, it was interesting because before I came on, I thought I best do some homework, you know, I best, I best look like I know, but I know some numbers and things like that. And when we talk about STEM, we talk about science, technology, engineering, and maths being a cross-curricular project. But when you talk about STEM outside, it could mean a variety of things. And I think that many people use it as a variety of different meanings. And I think you've got to be clear about what you're talking about when you're talking about STEM. And one of the th reasons I would say that is that we often talk about there's not enough women in STEM. Unless you count into that nursing, medicine, dentistry. And those professions have many more women in them than men. So what you're actually saying is there's not enough women in engineering or you're not enough women as scientists. And if you're saying there's not enough women in engineering, is it because they're chartered or are they in the sector? So there's a little bit about the sector talking quite clearly about what it is it's actually looking for. And 
and how it promotes that to the to the wider world, I think, a little bit. So there's there's some things I think certainly getting more schools involved, getting more engineers involved in the education process, not running in there and doing their own thing, but doing something in a structured manner. I think the different types of companies like yourself, it's what what good are you doing for the world? Because that would attract in that diverse nature of people because kids, young people want to feel like the impact that they're having isn't isn't just money. It's about the greater good. It's about feeling good when you're going home. It's you know. So I think I think it's it's um, there's quite a few things there that are kind of interrelated in terms of how the sector promotes itself and who to. Fascinating. And you know, I might just add to that. I think um, I think it is on the sector to um, to inspire the next the next gen and, and or people who are thinking about doing something different because the point you made on stem is is really quite interesting and we spoke earlier about do i need to have a degree in engineering to come into this world absolutely not i think that's what we're saying on this podcast here is that actually there are many many roles in manufacturing and and and, and in industry total and and we need all of them because we need to be able to sell this industry. We need to, need to be able to sell our our goods, our produced goods to other parts of the country, the world. Uh, we need to be able to market them. We we obviously have operations and global supply chains to manage. So it, it, there's a vast array of skills that we need. The, the biggest, actually, one of the biggest ones I was reflecting on the other day, and, and the most obvious one is is problem solving. And we come back to that from the conversation ten minutes ago. So. So what we need is a whole bunch of problem solvers, actually. Whether, yeah, whether from a mechanical, a, a physics or an art or whatever background, almost irrelevant. Almost irrelevant, I think, is what we said this morning. I've really enjoyed this conversation, but um, I might ask you just one more question, if that's okay. Of course, yeah. What could we at Schneider Electric do specifically? What could we do to help in this space, you feel? Outside of maybe the work that we're doing to to bring um, grads and apprentices into our organization, what is it we could do to help the industry? Well, I, I think you personally as an organization are looking after some schools for us. You're supporting schools um, and that is hugely appreciated. So that means that actually those children will understand more about what you do right from the get-go. Uh, I think that one of the things that I, I'm very keen on is is looking at the different types of skills children will need in the future and finding and developing projects that will enable them to start the journey of finding those skills if you like so in terms of data automation ai you know things that can find their way into that early curriculum because what and i think we, we touched on it in the, in the beginning of the podcast was Education is that bubble of where you're assessed and that bubble of where your expanding knowledge sits. And I think that some of the things that you do in your sector is so groundbreaking that it sits in that bubble around to the edges. So it's how do we take children out from that core and push them out and, and entice them with those different skills. So it's understanding from yourselves what's what future skills are children going to need? And as you said, it's that problem solving bit, that that 
let's look at that from a completely different angle. And that's what we see in, you know, if you were an engineer, kids come up with some of the most incredible, incredible ideas. Universities take them all, you know, I mean, so I think, I think for me, it's that, it's that additionality, direction. Where should we be thinking about developing projects and how can you help us to design that? Well, Susan, I'm going to have a really good think about that. And I'm sure you're going to be putting a phone call into me in the next few weeks, working out how we do that together. So that, that'll be fantastic. I, I just wanted to say a big thank you. Uh, half an hour here has whizzed by in no time. Um, I hope from a listener standpoint, you've, you've started to understand some of the challenges in our industry and how we can all help. Um, I also really enjoyed the, the topic and the discussion on the ecosystem of education, because I think unlocking the power of what that could bring to our world could be really quite something in our world being industry and manufacturing. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how we could work together to, to help education, help us and, um, and do a good PR job for, uh, for our world. So thank you for joining me this, this morning, Susan. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you very much, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. So what comes across to me from Susan, first and foremost, is her huge passion and the joy she takes from the creativity and potential of the children her organisation reaches. Her energy, as we have seen, is infectious and it's easy to see why she's been recognised for her work and her leadership by so many top engineering universities and indeed with an MBE for services to engineering and education. I was really interested to hear Susan's views on teamwork and the importance she places on the value of different skill sets and viewpoints in problem solving. It's really important to me and I'm really proud of the way that Schneider Electric embraces differences in the full knowledge that it is not only the right thing to do, it is the smart thing to do. The challenges that the world faces simply need companies like Schneider Electric to embrace diversity to help us resolve them. I also loved what Susan said about giving permission to fail. I'm going to steal that phrase. I think it is great and so important for how we approach the big challenges. Problem solving is a lot about failing or finding out what doesn't work in order to find out what does. And we need to fail fast, which is great phrase that implies the permission to fail. I think these are really important things for leaders to instill in teams. They engender real growth. Susan really is an inspiring leader and as well as supporting Primary Engineer directly with sponsorship of schools in Leeds and plans for expansion of that program well underway, I'm really excited to see where our conversation about how we can develop projects for future skills with Susan and the Primary Engineer team leads us. I can't overstate the importance of STEM education for our children nor my personal belief that people like Susan really do shift the needle on these important issues. I know we have many listeners from industrial businesses, but which getting the right skills in through the door is a great challenge. And I'd strongly advocate that they become part of the change they want to see by sponsoring local schools to participate in a primary engineer program and help inspire the next generation. Thanks for joining me on the Industrial Leadership Podcast brought to you by Schneider Electric. I'd love to hear your feedback on this podcast and any in our series, which are available by searching the term Industrial Leadership on the Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a guest, future, or if there's a leadership topic you'd like us to cover, please do get in touch. 
I've been your host, Mark Yields, and I look forward to your company on another Industrial Leadership Podcast soon.